the glue guys this is mike here say hello brian hello check us out on twitter at pika glue almighty baller five stars on itunes we want to we need him we have to have him brian the nets are back um solo air guitar solo i'm standing at the desk i got the standing desk thing it's changing (laughs) my energy entirely fired up in what way how are you feeling what's different about the way you're delivering i'm like air guitaring man i'm fired up what are you talking about (laughs) brian the nets are back (laughs) yeah you said it um Uh, what do you want to talk about we haven't talked in so long there's so many things going on wow i I know it's crazy so you know did you hear lebron james passed michael jordan on the stupid list who cares you do you you freaking care because uh (laughs) i'm just so happy i'm just so happy for lebron that i'm just surprised uh, that lebron cares honestly like i I, I I don't understand what motivates people. That's that's the bottom line. Like he stopped. He after he got to point fourteen, he scored fourteen points. He knew right away that he hit the freaking. He had that number in his head, obviously, the entire game, and he celebrated it and and hugged Javale McGee over it. Weird. I don't know, man. I just okay. So there's some part of me that's just like I totally understand. He so he was emotional. After he passed that record, he almost was like crying, right? I mean, I think I, be, I mean, not not badly, but he was like crying on the bench. I saw a video of that. I think it's the kind of thing, though. Not, and sorry to interrupt you, my energy is like on fire right now. But it's the kind of thing where like you don't even know that it's a thing until like the media tells you, like puts the bug in your ear, like, hey, like this is a thing that's coming. Like he wouldn't, like that would have, if if some stat guy hadn't like you know highlighted that and sent it to the you know, analyst guys, and they talked about it. Like, nobody would have known. Nobody would have cared. I don't know. It's just not... I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe people care about this a lot. I just don't care. No. So LeBron obviously cares about it a lot. The way he reacts, it, It's because he authentically cares. Or they just tell him that he should care, and now he's got to do a thing. No, he cares. He cares. And I get it. Like, I saw a tweet out there. Someone's like, you guys have to understand this was a, a, that kid from Akron that, you know... He grew up, everything was stacked against him, and that MJ was his idol, and he just passed his idol in scoring. So, like, I, okay, I totally understand why he's emotional, and I totally understand why it's a big achievement, but it comes at a very weird time in his season where his team is crazy. You're going this, you're going, this is the Skip Bayless take. I see that. I'm just saying, this is a weird, it's a weird thing. Is he even the leader of this team? Is it, is he even, (laughs) is this his team? No, no, the thing was, it was Michael Beasley, and they let him go. Michael that's Beasley. Always, was that's the, the Skip Bayless. Is this is this Brook Lopez's team yet, or what? What's the deal? Is this Brook Lopez's team? It just is like I. This is the thing you have to like live with LeBron is that he he can have many different emotions all at once. While you know, for the most part, we want to understand our our basketball players of having sort of single track mind. It's like either I'm winning or I'm losing. Either I'm like happy or I'm sad. We're like LeBron's like. I am both happy and sad. I both love my teammates and hate my teammates. I both want to get to the playoffs and I kind of maybe don't want to get to the playoffs because what do we like honestly the, the focus is so much on the Lakers getting to the playoffs. The everyone knows the best thing for them is to not get to the playoffs, have a higher draft pick, 
and LeBron gets him get some rest so he can go to do Space Jam in the summer. You know, I like I like watching that team. So I watched the game last night, and the part where Rajon Rondo is sitting like in the crowd, like twelve like seats away from the actual bench. I like the my favorite part about it is the guy sitting next to him's got to pretend he's not sitting next to like Rajon Rondo. <laughs> suddenly, that's the best part. Um, um, speaking of yeah. awkward sitting situations, I went to yes. the Mavs game dolo, pretty much like by myself for the first time. Sat at a game. I mean, our, our friend Were was there you really for, like, by yourself. Yeah, like a hot fifteen minutes. He, I guess, he was like working the whole time. So I, I was like, and it was fine. <laughs> it was fine for the most part. But then, like, <laughs> have you ever seen Step Brothers? You know that, that uh, Will yes. Ferrell. Movie? Yeah, I've seen when they Step go, Brothers. <laughs> when they, when they go, you know that's you know that's uh, Will movie? Will Ferrell movie. Oh, um, yes. Where when they're going on the interviews and they're wearing tuxes and Seth Rogen and then like they fart and he's like, this is all of a sudden this is weird, you know. Um, <laughs> that basically happened to me. I was, <laughs> I was sitting by myself and everything was going fine. And then I like totally thoughtlessly just like had a really smelly burp and the girl sitting next to me was like. Like, 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 visibly disgusted, and then turned to talk to her boyfriend about it. Like, oh, <laughs> and I was just like, suddenly I felt like Will Ferrell in that tux, you know, really out of place. <clears throat> and Elliot, so or our friend, wasn't there. I shouldn't say his name because you know he's a mystery man. The mole. Um, um, so Mavs game. What was your impressions of the Mavs game? I mean, let's just oh. rewind the tape a bit for a second here. We were going to do a pod on Sunday to do. We were going to do a, a worry index. Okay, we were going to do. Um, we were going to have three gifts or memes that we would sort of classify how worried we were about a certain situation with the team because the team was on a three-game losing streak. They didn't look particularly good during that three-game losing streak. And going into the Mavs game was a potentially dangerous spot. So we mm-hmm. were going to do this whole big bit. Um, you know, we're going to use the dog in the burning house gif or meme, however you want to do it, Alonzo Mourning, and the Nick Young sort of, not worried about it, no big deal type deal. But we got to save that for the Twitch stream up coming up. But obviously, that Mavs game changed things just slightly. Um, but have have they changed things? We're talking after the Cavs game, so two in a row. Are you less worried than you were? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so, I was like, I'll, I'll say this: I'm obviously less worried now after the Cavs game because, like, that Mavs game was such a weird anomaly. You know, like. Um, Although I got to tell you, watching Dirk Nowitzki live is even more like crazy than than watching him on TV. Like his <laughs> body is so clearly like arthritic; it's insane that they're running him out there as long as they are. Um, but you know that Luka Doncic guy is pretty good. Um, twinkle toes out there. Well, speaking um, of body types, man, I know this has been talked about, but one of the odder body types for an emerging star in the history of the NBA. Like doughy baby teen? Like, yeah, it's pretty weird. Still got that and, baby face. And he doesn't do anything. Like, the, does he wear, like, an undershirt in some kind of way underneath no. his jersey? Like, he looks like he's wearing, like, a layer of flannel just underneath because no. it's it's pretty flowing uh, all around his jersey. Not exactly in the best shape. And, like... <laughs> You know, it's a whole thing of like, yeah, he's a young guy and he's going to go to the NBA and fix his body. He was professional in Europe for many years of his life, the formative years of his life, and yet still not in the best shape. Not in like more sort of just like um, guy after the first year of college, ate a little bit too much in the dining hall, drank a little bit too much outside the dining hall. Um, Not exactly in shape. Still athletic. 
Yeah, I feel like you. he's got that like that Mario Lemieux thing, you know, where it's just like you're you're so good <laughs> that you can rip cigarettes in, <laughs> in between periods. That Mario Lemieux <laughs> thing, man. Yeah, like he's just like really naturally gifted, and so it's just like whatever, you know. You know, um, I don't want to mess with this with these natural gifts. I'm just gonna rip rip cigarettes at halftime. So um, we had like, we had a funny moment um, before the Cavs game, and you know, I want to talk about this for just a second. So Steve Lichtenstein from uh, WFAN. He went to Larry Drew, the coach of the Cavs, to ask him what he thought. This is before the game. To ask him what he thought about Rorion's Karuks. And go to Steve's Twitter page and check it out because it's an interesting video. It's it's Steve asking Larry Drew, what do you think about <laughs> Rorion's Karuks, the rookie for the Nets? And Larry Drew has no effing clue who Rorion's Karuks is. And Larry Drew is just sort of standing there and saying, I'm sorry. I'm not sure who you're talking about. And Steve continues to sort of say, like, oh, he's the Latvian. He was a shooting guard, but now they're playing at forward. And Larry Drew just doesn't have any clue. I'll say who this, he though. Is. In Larry Drew's defense, Steve is asking this question as if he doesn't need to know the information anyhow. Like, he's like slipping, like, the, the tone of it is like, how about that, like, Kurtz guy? Like, like Kurtz? And he's like, what? Like, Kurtz? He's like, yeah, what? Latvian guy? He's just like really fast and low. And he's like, what? I, I don't know. I don't care. Like, whatever. <laughs> like, well, I think, and, and I think we threw him off. Because here's what I believe. I believe that Larry Drew does know who Rodion's Karuks is. What I also believe is that he doesn't know how to pronounce his last name. Right. Exactly. No I saw does. it on a piece of paper. Nobody ever talked about it, really, you know. Yeah, no one knows how to say Rodion's Karuks' name because everyone would say Kuruks, right? We all would have yeah. said, when we, we all thought that's what it was. And, and then Steve calls him uh, a shooting guard, which is what he was when he was drafted, but he's a power forward. Those are two vastly different positions. So in Larry Drew's mind, he's hearing about a guy named Karutz, who, again, probably not the way he would pronounce it, thinking that, wait, he's yeah. a shooting guard, and then it's a power forward, and it's just like, I don't really know who he Well, there's also, about. like, <laughs> there's a good meme recently where somebody was saying that he, they were in a class, and uh, <clears throat> that's, like, somebody got called on to answer something. And they were like, um, like, hang on, I'm not, I'm not stupid. I'm just panicking right now. I can't think. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, I can relate to that. You know, that's like the Aleppo thing with with your boy Gary Johnson. Um, I believe Gary Johnson probably knew. <laughs> oh, wow, Ale- callback. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Dude, I'm standing up today. My my recall is like boom, boom, boom. What's that? It all. 2016 presidential election? <laughs> yeah, you bet your you bet your ass it is. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, like, I think he's just like, oh, crap, like, I, this is a thing, I can't place it, whatever it is, I should know it, I know that I should know it, and, you know, whatever. I, but also, I think Larry G was probably, like, less panicky about it. The stakes are a little bit lower in this case, but, um, anyways, I, I'm gonna let him off the hook this time, just this once. There are a few, like, sort of, so, the Cavs game was a little worrying, of course, because the game got, like, the game wasn't quite a blowout, but the Nets were firmly in control, and then the Cavs clawed their way back in. Maybe the Cavs just are, like, just the sort of team that gives the Nets trouble, unfortunately, because the Cavs obviously had, the, what was it, the three-overtime game, you know, a couple mm-hmm. weeks back. Um, there were a few, like, were, were you watching with the sound on on the TV? I was, I was. Okay, so there's a moment when Richard Jefferson gets a hold of Tristan Thompson's chain. Right. And all I could think about, knowing what I already know about Richard Jefferson, is that he had at least five Jordan Woods jokes going on in his head at this exact moment <laughs> and i could feel like almost rattling off the back of his teeth that he yeah. wanted to say one of them while he was so what happened during the game if you weren't watching i should explain this 
uh, it was nice for Richard Jefferson because he, of course, he just played for the Cavs very recently. You know, we won the championship with the team. And players would come over during the game and sort of say something to him. He had a nice moment with Channing Frye after the game in the locker room. Uh, one of, during one of the commercial breaks, Tristan Thompson walked over. Tristan Thompson not playing. I'm not sure why. Hurt, maybe? Not sure. Probably, but don't know. Uh, walked over to Richard Jefferson and gave Richard Jefferson, just to wear as a joke, this, like, gigantic diamond, beautiful diamond necklace. Okay? Be- oh, it's beautiful. 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 <laughs> I, it, the clarity was optimal, right? That's what we're yeah, saying? Totally. Cushion cuts. All cushion cuts. Um, that's not true. Um, so he wears this diamond necklace, and Richard Jefferson's joking about it. They're showing it on Yes. The Nets actually go on a, a nice, like, 9-0 run or something like that while Richard Jefferson is wearing Tristan Thompson's chain and I can just sense again that Richard Jefferson wants to make a joke um, <laughs> what is going on in the background car alarm they gotta stop <laughs> making cars with car alarms it's, no, it's never being used for the right reason um, it's, Richard Jefferson is just waiting to say he's waiting for Ein to sort of indicate in some way that he knows about the Jordan Woods scandal, I think. So Richard Jefferson can then jump in and be like, apparently Richard Jefferson's been, or Tristan Thompson has been sharing too much of himself lately. I just thought that was what was going to be said. It wasn't going to be said because I think he's probably friends with Tristan Thompson and that would have been in super poor taste, but it would have immediately went to number one on Richard Jefferson's highlight reel because he's already a next level broadcaster and everyone Dude, knows you hear now there's church bells going yeah, it's, it's, a, like, it's, it's a fantastic <laughs> symphony this is part of mike smeltz's new york minute brian this is it the, the, the symphony feel- of destruction that's outside your door is yeah. amazing um oh my god i can't even think i feel like it's like in one of those movies where like the camera's zooming in on my head and this is like what's going on in my mind right now just church bells and cars <laughs> Church um, bells and car alarms, man. That'd be like a good album for like the third, yeah. the third release of like a terrible Brooklyn band, Kings of Leon. Yeah. Um. So we, uh, where are we? We kind of were talking about this. And we got, went away from it, of course. I'm gonna yell out the window. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to do it. I'm gonna finally do, do that. I'm, I'm recording a podcast. Do it. Do it right now. Um, worry level. Give me. Give me just. A, are you? Are you back to being? satiated are you back to being okay or are you still pretty um i'm a little bit concerned i'm good i I'm, i feel good um like yeah i was actually less good the Cavs game made me feel pretty good about it the, about the whole situation the Mavs thing was like this is such a weird game like i'm worried that they're gonna rest on their laurels here um and like not take the the lessons that they should have learned throughout this whole thing um which the two lessons are rodeon's over graham mm-hmm. right yes. right and uh, and wait, who are they playing over RHJ now? He's getting his minutes. Still, basically, it's just Amari and and Rodion. So they're just rolling with those two guys, right? Those and, are the lessons. I, and I hate to say that, you know, RHJ, love him. I always feel like I have to put that caveat on there. Um, but it's unfortunate that the product on the court is a little bit better. It's a little bit more spread out, a little bit less wild possessions. Um, it's just a little better right now, Mike. Well, and, and Rodion's like, well, obviously not a fantastic three-point shooter. I think his percentage is pretty good, but just that it's not reliable. He at least offers that threat, while Rodney House Jefferson doesn't, of course, famously doesn't. And Damari is playing pretty damn well. Uh, he has been playing well all season, but playing pretty damn well recently. Um, 
it's a lot to ask for him to play the four. And particularly when you look at who the Nets, if they do get in the playoffs, who they may be playing, Damari's going to be, and Rodion's are going to be asked to do a lot uh, in terms of like if they play like the 76ers or if they play the Celtics or whoever it would be, the, the, the Raptors, if they put Serge Ibaka out there with Gasol. Like, it's going to be tough, but um, they're still a better option than Rondé at this point. Um, do you want to bring in a f- friend of the show's thoughts on this Absolutely. situation? Absolutely. Your boy, Matt Parker. Thank you for writing in, Matt. We got to gotta link up again soon. Um, power forward. Two questions. One, really seems like <clears throat> there's a Kenneth Free-sized hole mm. at the Nets power forward spots. Was cutting him for nothing a mistake? Um, we can talk about that first one. Um, honestly, well... <sighs> You know, I like Rodion's at the four. I think, like, the reason that Rodion's wasn't playing as much is because he was, you know, rightfully burnt out. Guy's young, playing a lot of minutes for the first time, and he was starting to stink a little bit, and they got to put him on the shelf and let him freshen up. Um, but now that he's back, I like it a lot, and I hope that he stays in the starting lineup for a long time. Um, yeah, and so about the Fareed thing, it's like, it sort of may be the failure of being, like, a, it's the downside of being a team that's all about system and... Yeah sort of everyone working for the same common goal is that you can't really bring on a Kenneth Fareed. It was obvious every time Fareed got in the game, he produced like just every time there was no question, but, but at what cost, but they didn't want to play him. They didn't want to play him. I mean, they, they also, I mean like the relationship had like properly curdled. It seems like, you know, I mean like I, I get the reason. Right? I get the sentiment on for the on court thing, but like the guy, yeah, it seemed like they they were going their separate ways pretty heavily there. And I gotta say, I mean, again, we've talked about this a million times, but like Fareed should be, it could it's understandable to be frustrated by that, and he's just being honest by being asked the question, "What was your situation like with the Nets?" He's being asked that a couple of times now with the Rockets, and he's being honest. So I'm not trying to kill him for being honest. The Nets treated him pretty darn well because they could have just basically banished him and then kept him and used him as a trade asset where they let him go away to the Rockets. They gave him the chance to go to a good situation. And this is something we talked about. Your boy Keith Smith tweeted out something a couple weeks ago that I thought was interesting where he was saying about there was there's like a couple of seasons ago where the Nets had two G leaguers on their G league roster. I think it was Alexander and Eba, something like that. And Marks had made a promise to them that they would eventually get a call up. And he did that at the end of the season. He gave them each of them a 10-day contract or something, and they got to be on the Nets roster or something like that. And Keith Smith was tweeting about um, about how, like, while that was sort of a small move that, of course, those two guys don't matter for the Nets in the future, it matters to their agents that the Nets kept their promise. All right? So the Kenneth Freed situation is more is less about the player and more about the agent. I don't know who Kenneth Freed's agent is. I'm sorry. But um, agents take notice. They take notice in the fact that, like, the Nets treat players well. They, they either treat them well while they're playing, or if they're not playing them, they're being honest with them. And if they can get rid of them in some way to let them get another opportunity, if they're not getting it with the Nets, they will do that. And that's what they did with Kenneth Freed. Uh, to sort of really address Matt's question, though, <clears throat> I do wish the Nets could have figured out a way to incorporate Kenneth Freed within their rotation because he produced at every opportunity that he had while he was on the floor with the Nets. I just also think it wasn't going to happen. 
Just not gonna, it wasn't happening. They would have done it if they could have done it. They would have incorporated him in within their rotation if they could have. He just happens to not really want to play the style of basketball the Nets want to play. That's not who he is. Um, and it wasn't going to work. It just wasn't going to work. All right, you ready for your tinfoil yes. cap? Yes. Kenneth Fareed's agent is Thaddeus Foucher. Thaddeus Foucher represents Norman Powell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's who the Nets are targeting in free agency. Yeah. <laughs> he's on contract till twenty twenty two. Um, now he's he's got one big client as Russell Westbrook. You know that's a big one. Yeah, Diang, Kyle yeah. Anderson, true boy. Kyle Anderson, maybe come back to uh, the this hoops type thing is pretty great. It ranks the agents. I didn't know about this. Who's number one? Mark Bottlestein or, or yeah, probably Rich Paul? Right. Um, wait, it says agent ranking. How do I get to the, he's, well, Thaddeus is ranked number 15. I know that much. Well, and so what's interesting is that, so Joe Harris's agent is Mark Bartlestein. Mark Bartlestein's also Jared Dudley and Damari Carroll's agent. And, um, Joe Harris was on Zach Lowe's podcast with Sarah Kustak. Every Nets fan should listen to it. I'm, I'm sure everyone who listens to us would probably listen to that one. Um, it's the second greatest Nets pod ever beyond everyone that we have done in the history of Nets potting. But um, Joe Harris is talking about his agent and sort of how um, his other clients on the Nets were all texting each other about how great Joe Harris was doing the three-point contest. Mark Bartlestein is um, one of the super agents in the NBA. He's, he's, he's ranked number two. And he's famous for getting his players more money than they probably deserve. That like Tim Hardaway I, Jr. just really stands out. Does he have Jabari Parker, too? He I does. Think. And Enos, yeah. Enos Cantor. So he's famous for getting James Johnson, to, which is what an agent, right? That's what the, the job of an agent is. That's why Rich Paul is doing so well, because he gets his guys paid, whether through LeBron, you know, sort of forcing people to. But he gets his guys paid. Um, the Nets probably have a pretty damn good relationship with Mark Bartlestein because the contract negotiations with Joe Harris seem to go very well. And the indication was out there that Joe Harris could have signed for more money elsewhere but wanted to be on the Nets. Um, it is important for a player on the Nets who has a really powerful agent that that player is happy to be here on the Nets and that as Bartlestein's clients sort of go out there within the gigantic free agent swimming pool that will happen, it's more likely than not that he will consider the net. He'll probably tell his clients if they want to go to the Nets, the Nets are a great team to go to because we have – Joe Harris, Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll, they're, they're all my clients. They all love being with the Nets. Jared Dudley openly tweets online about how great it is to play for the Brooklyn Nets, that every free agent, he said this specifically, that every free agent should have a chance to play, well, in a city like New York City. Um, obviously, that could also apply to the Knicks. But, you know, it is important when these players who are attached to these super agents like being on the team. It changes things maybe 2%, but that 2% matters of course in the grand scheme of things do you want me to parlay this neatly into an email or what is that absolutely do you want that okay let me do it (laughs) your boy john wang writes um let's say the nets max out d'lo and sign kd do they have enough under the cap to re-sign damari and ed davis these vets have been invaluable on the floor and in the locker room would love to see them stay and continue building the culture john wang i want to see you stay emailing us and building our culture thank you for writing mike um does these do these cushy relationships with agents 
Does that mean we get a sweetheart deal on Damari Carroll when it, when it comes time? So here's uh, so two different players, right? Damari and Ed Davis. I think Damari – so Damari, what's weird about his situation that the Nets have his bird rights, um, but his cap figure right now, his cap hold is $23 million. So there's – the Nets are going to renounce his rights unless if they don't get KD or whatever. Um $23 million is insane. Unless if they do like a quick re-signing where it's like we immediately re-signed him for three years, I don't know, $8 million a year, something like that. Um, but I kind of think Damari is going to – there's going to be some teams that are going to want to spend some money on Damari Carroll, just a little bit. Like there's going to be some competition for him, and there should be competition for Ed Davis. But I think Ed Davis making the decision to come here – for the amount of money that he did when he could have signed for that amount of money with any team, I think he is going to be here for some time. Like, I think it would make sense if the Nets signed him to, like, a three-year, you know, something like the mid-level exception for three years or whatever. I don't know what the restrictions are on that. I think Ed Davis is more likely to be here than Damari Carroll just because I think more teams are going to want Damari, and he's likely to, you know, I think he's going to want to go there and make some more money. Um, go somewhere else and make more money. They can sign both of them, though. Even if they sign KD and D'Angelo Russell, then they would just operate over the cap and sign both for the mid-level exception and then the mini mid-level. But that's probably actually pretty tough. Um, would you want... You probably want both of them back, right, though? I mean, that's, yeah, I want them back. Love those guys. Um, it'll be interesting because... You know, in the pursuit of, like, the grand sort of franchise player, those guys like Damari and a Davis who make a massive difference on this team may not be part of the team going to the future. Um, um, let me let me bounce back to the Matt Parker email and throw out a name that people are not talking about, but Matt Parker thinks they should be talking about. Um, true boy Al Horford, he thinks would be a great fit. No one's talking about him leaving Boston, but there's a lot of drama there. He might not like it. They mostly play him at the five, even though he prefers to play at the four. Plus, he and Kenny have a connection from their Hawks days. If he opts out, we'd probably have to overpay to get him, what seems like a reasonable offer for him. You know what's also crazy is that El Horford is the 13th best paid player in the NBA. Makes a lot of money. Makes a lot of money. Um, Do you want Al Horford? If it means, like, 25 a year. 25 a year. I watched him last night. He's good. I think he's good. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching so the I was watching a lot of basketball last night. Um, I watched some of that that uh, Kings game. Um, who's a really fun team to watch? I don't know if you've been sleeping on the Kings games, but that's... no, K- Kings are super enjoyable. They're more fun to watch than the Lakers at this point. Yeah, not checking. Hot shots fired, Brian. Yeah, get them, get them. Um, so I mean, <clears throat> for for on court, just purely you know excising the contract portion of that conversation like obviously it'd be i think a really nice fit he's uh rangy but but solid in a way that we really like are, are needing um you know just kind of just the basketball geometry makes a lot of sense to me but he's also old and really overpaid so yeah so that's the thing right it's that like we everyone keeps talking about the timeline of players it's an obsession around the nba of that like you have a core group of players who are all 23 years old it does not make sense now, we're told, to sign a guy who's 32 because he's going to go on the downside of his career. All these guys are ascending. You should be signing more players who are should be ascending and are all around the same age group. I don't know if it really makes 
all that much sense to sign Al Horford. The only way the Nets would sign Al Horford, of course, if he opts out, and that they signed another huge free agent like KD. And KD says, so when, when bringing in KD, and then you get, you have D'Angelo Russell, hopefully you sign him, not for the max contract, but like pretty darn close to the max contract. Then you can say, okay, we have these two stars, all stars. We have a couple of other really good role players, Karis Avert, Spencer Dinwiddie. Let's trade Alan Crabb, use draft picks, trade Alan Crabb, try to trade another contract if we can, get that off our books. And then we bring in Al Horford for a slight discount to be like, Al, be a part of this new big three. But to be, if Al Horford's the centerpiece of the Nets free agent signings, while that would be good on the court, I don't think it makes all that much sense for like a long-term build, right? Like if he's the guy the Nets are bringing in, it doesn't make all that much sense. He need, he would need to be in addition to another big piece, Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant. Um, I don't know if the Nets the, – it would take a lot of cap jiu-jitsu to make that work out. So I don't think that's really super-duper going to work out, Bri guy. Um, I have one – I have a couple more emails, but maybe I should only have time to do one because I know you want to talk about other things. Yes. Um, let's do this email, and then we'll take a break after that, and then we'll – Okay. Yeah. This is from Sean Goodfriend, a good, good friend, friend of the show. show. Um, it says, hey guys, I'm a law student at William and Mary and went to Fordham last weekend to compete in the Fordham Law National Basketball Negotiation Competition and ended up winning. Hell I can't, yes! I can't Let's tell if this is, is that a real thing or is that a joke? I can't, I'm not It doesn't sure. matter. Both are great. If it's a uh, joke, phenomenal. <laughs> if it's not, even better. The quarterfinals was a contract negotiation between Russell and the Nets. So, like, this is, this is a joke, mm-hmm. right? I represented Russell. Uh, it's just so, like, well-written and wordy. I'm not used to this kind of high-quality troll. Um, I, I represented Russell. We ended up getting him a deal worth five years, $123 million. The contract started at uh, 21.5 and went up by the max increase with an opt-out after year four. It is a similar contract you mentioned on the pod with an increase instead of steady salary. This was beneficial for the Nets because it gave them more cap space to sign a free agent this year and in the next couple of years. This contract also gives D'Lo an opt-out, and if there is a big cap increase due to sports betting, the Nets uh, could have more flexibility in the future too. The average annual value is similar to what you had mentioned, at a little more than $24 million a year. I thought you might find that interesting. I wonder which one of us will get closer to the actual amount. Um, <laughs> so this, like, actually happened. So, like, mostly what I wanted to read about this is that Fordham Law National Basketball Negotiation Competition is, I guess, a thing. <laughs> and a thing you can win. Um, so, awesome. I'm, I'm intrigued to know more. Um, I One, I want to go. I mean, this yeah. seems like the next Sloan Conference. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, why is this not a bigger deal? This is <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah. I'm clicking. I mean, I'm going to click on who was the yeah. winner here, Sean. Sean, if you're the winner, he said we need to have you on at some He's point. He's coming on, dude. This is it. You're on, dude. We get to reach mean, you, out. You have earned it uh, by being one of the best emailers we have, dude. Look, uh, it's I, a thing. I'm googling it. It's a real thing. It happened on February 22nd, which lines up with the. This is like True Detective. It does line up with the timeline. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so maybe, maybe we should, you know, kind of post this email, obviously not, you know, we'll, we'll edit out the personal information. I mean, Sean no, I'm gonna, included I'm gonna, his I'm social security dox, number. I'm going to dox Sean 100%. Um, we're going to cancel him out. But, um, yeah, we can, um, this is pretty interesting and it's a fun thing to look at. Um, this is amazing. My mind is blown in eight different ways with this email. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. 
Um, learning about something I never knew existed when, like, you know about everything in the world that exists now is – this is incredible. I'm so yeah. excited. Um, and then one quick shout-outs to Sean Pinto, Triboy Kevin Salmo, um, Sire Emails. Uh, oh, he wanted me to, to shout-out um, Flatbush and Atlantic t-shirts again, which we've done in the past, Kevin. No worries. Um, but love those – love that dude. Love what he does. Um, so, yeah, anyways, speaking of commerce, why don't you take us to commercials, Mike? All right, so what I wanted to do real quick, and we, we've been promising this for a while, and we appreciate you all hanging with us. I wanted to, and you can do this at home as you are listening or on the subway, in your car, on a bike, wherever you are. We're going to rank the possible playoff opponents, first-round playoff opponents for the Brooklyn Nets. That's how confident we are that they are going to get into the playoffs. Brian, let's set the table a bit here, okay? The Nets are currently the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they have the, you know, like they have like two wins over the Pistons, but the Pistons have two fewer law. It's like a weird, there's just like a weird discrepancy in games. The Nets have continued to have all year. The Nets have played two fewer games than, um, the Pistons, but they're both like whatever it is, like a game over 500. Okay. So the Nets are currently seventh in the Eastern conference to me. I'm almost 100% sure they're going to get into the playoffs, though we will talk about their schedule. Their schedule is a brutal. Uh, Tankathon ranks it as now the hardest. And when you look at Tankathon, it's a great website. When they do strength the schedule, they do these little icons for hardest games and easiest games. And typically there's like four to six games that are in the each column. The Nets only have three, easy, quote, easy games. And the Lakers are one of the easy games. The Hawks are one of the easy games. And I think, like, maybe the Pistons? You don't oh, think Miami. the Hawks are an easy game? That's what they have listed as, like, the Nets' easiest game. The Nets have, like, they just don't have easy games left. That's it. And they have, like, a, a ridiculous schedule. We'll talk about schedule later. Um, so, believing that the Nets will make the playoffs and understanding that the, next, the Nets will not rise above the sixth seed... We're going to look at who they could be playing, of course, in the first round, and we will rank them in terms of easiest to hardest, the worst matchup, okay? I think what's easiest way to start is to start with, like, what would be the worst matchup, and I think that's obvious, which is yeah. the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Yeah, you got to watch out for that, that Bucks matchup. You don't want that. Okay, so, like, the Nets really need to – I mean, obviously they want to make the playoffs. If they just make the playoffs and are the eighth seed – People will be happy. We will all be happy they made the playoffs. This has been an incredible season, blah, blah, blah. But that will be 4-0. That will be 4-0. Oh, 100%. Also, like, any team that's big, I feel like big teams just is just not a good situation for us, you know, no matter what. And, and Milwaukee is big and fast. And it's just That's just terrible. And, and, like, we'll have to see Brooke Lopez, like, shooting threes yeah. at Barclays. Dunking all over us. Yeah, that's like, do we really want that? And then, no. like, the whole debate will be... In the like, all those games will probably be on NBA TV, which are fine. I love NBA TV, great place, but like, we want the Nets to sort of get some prominent placement, and that's another factor within this. It's not only like you think you easiest... think we'll be less prominently placed in a but like I think probably the Buck series has the best chance of getting prominent placement. Like if we end up in a six like six three with the Pacers, that's NBA TV town okay. big time. That... Yeah, that's that's NBA TV land. Maybe yeah. not even on NBA TV. That may <laughs> yeah. not even just be shit. Yeah, that's just yeah. local. That's we may get on. Yeah, and at yeah. that point, Yankees games are playing, so we might just be listening listening on the radio at that point. But 
I think the, the, the game, the matchup that would most put the Nets on TNT or ESPN would be a Celtics matchup. I think that's like, I, I think the, the ESPN or TNT would want to grab a few of those games because you the storyline is obvious, right? That like the Celtics ripped off the Nets in this massive trade that should crater the Nets, but the Nets are now here facing off against the Celtics, a team that is the Celtics are damaged, you know, themselves. They've had this really weird season. Um, Kyrie may leave. He may not. Are these, are these Kyrie's last games? Is he going to go play for the Nets? Well, yeah. let me ask you this, Mike. And please, <laughs> let me let me just launch into this. Of the teams at the top, there, you know, we got our our one and two seeds pretty much locked in. Though, you know, who's one and who's two might be up for debate. Though, I think it's probably going to be Milwaukee. They look, you know, they they look good thus far. But uh, of those teams beneath them, the three through five spots, we're talking Pacers, your 76ers, your Boston Celtics. Um, there's a little bit of, of uh, a mix-up there. Do you see a lot of movement movement there? Do you think Pacers are going to fall a little bit? Do you think Boston's – maybe Boston falls a little bit? I mean, they're obviously not going to fall below five because Detroit – like that next tier, the six, seven, eight tier is, is not not on the same level. Um right. Um, so let me look at this like super duper fast and quick. It's, it's, like, so it's yeah. The, I think the drama with the Celtics is real. Uh, they're they're like winning some games. They're playing like five hundred ball basically, as far as I can tell. Um, at the moment, but yeah. So like I I kind of believe that they're going to end up at the five spot. So there's only if you when you, at the as the standings are right now there's 17 there's 15 to 17 games left for the league depending on obviously who you are the nets have 15 most teams have 17 the pacers have 42 wins the sixers have set 41 and the celtics have 40 of course there can be some change celtics have been showing some kinds of life recently um and if they got into that 3 seed sure uh, that could happen um the celtics it's just it is too close, and the Pacers are still playing well without. Uh, Dude, Victor Troy Boyan is is crushing. Have you seen the week he's had? It's unbelievable. Yeah, he's been. I, you know, I, we were both kind of ready for him to go. Um, yeah, totally. But he's been he's been steady with the Pacers, and he he deserved the amount of money that he got. It was kind of crazy. They got what was it like ten million a year? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and say I would like. I think I was we were fairly wrong about him like i thought like he was going to fade into obscurity after he left yeah i um, mean and i don't know if he would be playing the four for the nets but like if he was on the nets right now he would be playing and obviously he would be playing and he would he would, would be he? i'm valuable. not even sure it's kind of a weird fit for us i don't know it is like, what, but yeah. but he's still a scorer he's still like a bench unit of boyan and spencer dinwiddie would no one else would shoot the ball but it would be pretty productive in terms of scoring um yeah. Okay, so let's go through. So we we know the Bucks are number one in terms of toughest matchup. That's what you don't want. Get it off, hit the board. Hopefully the Nets aren't the eighth seed. I mean, the, Net, the Nets have four wins over the Miami Heat and the Orlando Magic, who are with 30 wins on the season. But let's just say, okay, go. The Bucks should be where they are. Um, to me, the second the team I would least like to see next is the 76ers. Um, I don't know how you feel, but it's the size component again. It's like they're going to have a Embiid, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and J.J. Redick on the floor. They're going to, like, destroy the Nets in rebounding. Jared Allen's going to foul out three of the games. Um, Ed Davis is going to get into three fights. Um, but it's just 
it's going to be brutal. Um, that would not be the team that I would want to see the Nets play. That would be the second least in my mind. Where are you at with the 76ers? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess the way I... I the way that I'm thinking about it is mostly, like, <clears throat> the teams that I do want to play. Like, I don't know. Like, um, second least. I don't know. I feel like the... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess... We've been playing Toronto nicely, so it's hard to say that they've... Um, I mean, what's a record against against 76ers, I guess? That's the first thing. Because we, we're one and two against Toronto, but that second one was super close, although we got whooped on in January. Well, yeah, um, and, like, and so that Toronto is... I actually put Toronto a little, like, most want to play. Like, I, they're not number one, but they're up closer to that. Just because... It's not that I'm not afraid of them, but I think the matchup is a little bit better. Yeah, they have Marcus Saul, which he'll, which he was such a factor in that game that the Nets lost to. But you can see a series where, like, the role players on the Raptors fall off a little bit, and the bench matters more in that matchup for both teams because both teams use their bench pretty liberally. Um, I could just see an equation where where the Nets beat the Raptors where I don't see a way that the Nets beat the 76ers because the, the 76ers are just overpowering in terms of talent that while they not be, may not be coached the best way, they're so freaking talented and would get, they would, it would be a 20 plus rebound margin for the 76ers. Well, let me ask you this. How much do you factor in regular season uh, records and like head to head, you know, in these, in these assessments, is this, is this just too much small sample size theater for you? To me, it's mostly that. I mean, you have to watch, right? You have to watch how they played against each other. That's why we say the Bucks because we just know that the Nets aren't going to like the the Nets have two more games against the Bucks. Um, <clears throat> so, like, they actually have games against all these all these teams coming up. They play the 76ers, Boston, the Bucks, Toronto, the Bucks, the Pacers, all in a row. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, we're going to get like a better, obviously, like more recent sample size. And it's going to be pretty interesting from a scouting perspective for the Nets staff to be like, oh, like we have very recent data of how we're playing each of these teams, so we have a better sense of how to play them in the playoffs. The same goes, of course, the other way for all those teams too. But um, I don't yeah. know. I, I my, my feeling about the Sixers is that like I kind of I might want to play them like in equal doses. Like the teams that I don't want to play, I think are like Bucks. I don't want to play the Pacers that much. Uh, no. TBH. Um, and I think the Sixers are maybe on my, if we had to cut it in half and say, like, who's on your want to play and who's not, like, Sixers might be on that just because, like, I, I do, you know how, like, um, Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons often talk about this thing where it's like, um, you know, if I don't have, like, a, like, a quick, like, a consensus sentence about what they do, like, then there's, like, a problem there. And I think that that's kind of how I feel about the Sixers. Like, I don't have, like, I have, all I have is, like, Joel Embiid's really good. And, like, they have good players, but they're not better than the, some of their parts, um, they should be. They should have a way better record than they have. You know, they have tons of talent. They're so talent rich, and they also have like really great utility players, like a JJ Redick. Like he's playing out of his mind, and still they're like, you know, they're not setting the world on fire in the way that they should be. Um, so I think that they are poorly coached, and that they don't have that kind of like locked in identity in the way that you would want to in a playoff series. Just feels like the kind of team you could sneak in on. You know. Well, to me, that's why I most want to play the Celtics, and I don't know where you are with the Celtics, but like. Again, they're playing better lately, but they have so many problems. There are so many memes of them out there that it's like... And the storyline that we talked about before, where it's 
this Nets team is probably one of the the closer units in the NBA in terms of seems like all the guys are having fun. Seems like they all enjoy playing with each other. You know, guys that you uh, think, you want to you want to read the emotional thing like every time Theo Pinson's like dancing, we'll just the, the do that Pinson comparison dance. that wide shot of their bench being sad. And, yeah. Now I am a little worried about the Theo Pinson dance because it's it's been catching on so much with like now it's like four guys are doing it all at once. Yeah, and that's a little. Uh, you know what I'm worried about? <clears throat> I'm worried about also, and don't take this the wrong way, but Rondé Hollis Jefferson getting swept up in that kind of thing. It's like that's the kind of guy that can really easily become the, the bench dancing guy at like kind of exclusively, <laughs> and you don't you don't want to start you don't want to start doing the job you don't want to have. You know what I mean? Like if you, yeah. if you don't if you don't want the job, don't do that. You know? Yeah, exactly. And it's like. Uh... Like they'll they'll sit him down and be like, you know, Ronnie, we're gonna put you back in the lineup, but you're looking so good celebrating. The fans <laughs> love it so much. You should stay, keep doing that. Yeah. Um, it's it, but so I'm a little worried that it is because like Delo's doing it and Jared Dudley did it and Damari. I don't know if he's done it yet, but like it's just sort of it is infectious. It is a very fun dance. I love it. I love the momentum of it. But it's also like, it's it's. It, I love the momentum of it. <laughs> but I am quite worried that if they do play the 76ers and Embiid just goes for like 35 and 15, and then he does that dance on the court as a mocking way, and you're just going to see like sad face Theo Pinson mm. staring at like. Remember when? What, what game that was is, it? That is that is exactly what's going to happen. That imminently mockable way. Yeah, totally. I think there was some like early LeBron Cavs series, like before he ever left for Miami, where there was some bench player on an on the other team they're playing with in the playoffs that like talked crap to LeBron in some way. LeBron looked at him and was like, "What the hell's going on?" And LeBron had like this amazing game, and it was because a bench player on the other team who wasn't going to play said some BS to LeBron. It's sort of like, I mean, I, again, love Theo why. Pinson. Love Theo Pinson. But, like, and this is a bench mob thing. Totally get it. But. Oh, well, are you anti-dancing? Is that what you're trying to say? What is this, Footloose? Get out of here. <laughs> it's a, I'm a little afraid that this is going to be a motivating factor for the other team. That they're going to see the Nets doing that. And they're going to be like, you know what? F those guys. Who the hell is Theo Pinson to be dancing on me? During a game, during a game, not even at the end of the game, during a game. Wow. It's like John Lithgow. It's like I'm on the phone with John Lithgow right now. (laughs) (laughs) If John Lithgow's character had a podcast, you know, 40 years into the future, and he only talked about Nets basketball. (laughs) Um, No, but so, okay, Celtics. That's who I most want to see. That's the the end of the spiel. Because they don't have any any kind of mojo that you're talking about. (laughs) It's... They don't dance. There's no threat of somebody memeing the the dance. Yeah, that makes sense. You're not going to see Gordon Hayward do a mocking dance back at Theo Pinson. Um, so that, that's where I'm at. I mean, I like, I, I'm with you. I don't want to see the Pacers because the Pacers are like the Nets. It's just like all effort. Uh, they play the right way. All that crap. Uh, they're motivated <laughs> to. They obviously have the least amount of talent of the top five teams of the Bucks, 76ers, Pacers, Toronto, and Celtics. They have the least amount of talent. We all get that, but I'll say this also to your point about playing the Celtics. It's the most pressure in a first round series the Celtics could have because of the whole, you know, backstory with the trade and everything. It's like if they lose that, it's you know, it's the it's the sign of that this actually went 
terribly, terribly wrong. You know, there's a lot of pressure there, and it's got a nice sort of cosmic narrative, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's it so, and we've I've talked about this before. I think there's a huge karma aspect to what's happening literally right now in the like what's happening with the Celtics and what's happening with the Nets. There is some karmic karmic aspect of that. The Nets are this really tight bunch, and the Celtics are a disaster in terms of you know emotions. There are still mm. you know they're still way better than the Nets on the floor, and I can see you know the. Horford would give the Nets a lot of problems, but he's not going to score that much. And I can see the Nets matching up well enough against the Celtics that, like, it could make sense. Um, Toronto was my the, the second team I would most want to see just because, again, I don't think they're devastatingly, like, overly impressive in terms of talent. They're just like a really well-run team who the guys do know their role, and they have Kawhi Leonard playing really well. But it's the kind of team where if Kawhi Leonard turns an ankle, like they're they're gonna go down in flames. Yes, like they just don't have any yeah. resilience in that way. Um, so we'll see. So that's the thing. So let's talk about the schedule real quick, and then we'll be done. Um, because the Nets will be playing all these teams in the next fifteen games. The Nets have only fifteen games left, and right now, according to Tankathon, it is. The hardest schedule in the NBA. So, according to Tankathon, but who's that? Could be fake news. Uh, could be fake news. Yeah. Um, the Nets play the next game. They play is Saturday at Atlanta. Then Monday, a very important game, home versus the Pistons. And then they go on at, what is it? A seven-game road stretch: West Coast, the Thunder, Jazz, Clippers, Kings, <laughs> Lakers, and Portland. And then they come back East Coast and play at Philly. There's like a two-day break or a three-day break. Then they're home for three games. Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto. At Milwaukee. Back-to-back at Indiana. And then a couple-day break. And then they end the season home against Miami, which, you know, there's potential that game does matter. Um, Significantly in seeding, whether Miami's still competing for a playoff spot, uh, whether the Nets are trying where are they in the playoff race um this is a brutal freaking schedule bry um Mm -hmm. there ain't a lot of wins that you can for sure z say that are on there right now um there's there's a couple of back-to-backs um it'll i still think that the nets are going to be in the playoffs just because they have enough wins and the rest of the teams in the east stink there is a real threat though that they could actually fall to the eighth seed. I don't think that will happen, um, but there's a real threat of that. And if they do that, then they probably play the block, the Bucks, and that would be bad. But, you know, we'll keep watching. What's Orlando's um, schedule like? Schedule like? I don't know. I'll have to go to Tankathon to, to figure yeah. all that jazz out. But I'm just that's, all... That's, that's like, the only thing we got to worry about, right, is Orlando and Charlotte. I mean, the Wizards aren't going to... But, like, why are the Wizards trying to win games anymore? Get out of here. Um, I don't know. But, I mean, it's like the whole... Uh, like they're they have the, the Wizards do have like again a small chance to make the playoffs and what does having the thirteenth pick matter more than the fifteenth pick or whatever it just may not be that much of a difference. All right, get us out of here, Mike. All right, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back in yours as soon as possible. Big games coming up at the Hawks Pistons home on Monday. Maybe we'll pod on Tuesday. Maybe after the game. Uh, thank you all for listening. Netsdaily.com. All my brother. I'd be a on Twitter. Five stars we need and we have to have them on iTunes. Brian, good night. 
Thanks for having me, Mike. Bye-bye. Yeah, boy!